Hello and welcome back to a rabbi and a philosopher walk into a podcast. This is part two of our episode on God. If you haven't yet seen part one, check it out and come back. If the world has only existed for 6,000 years, why does God give us so much of a wealth of information that proves otherwise, unless trying to trick us? What, what response yeah, that I've I, heard? I, heard I, hear, I hear your question, and I'll teach you put two points in this part. Number one, that question doesn't invalidate it in any way. It doesn't invalidate the theory. It just asks the question, why does God do something a certain way? And I would answer to you, listen, there's lots of things in this universe I have absolutely no idea why God created them, and they form part of some sort of infinite mind, which is completely beyond me. There are, do you know how big the universe is? Do you know how many stars are out there? Galaxies. Ask of what in God's name, and I'm referring to God, do you need all these asteroids or huge planets or suns or black holes? What are you looking for? They serve, they absolutely, I mean, I can live my whole life and not be aware of, any, of a single black hole. It does not change anything for me. I still have my breakfast in the morning and my supper and so on. Secondly, all these details of that are all part of a universe which has in it many things that even are less complicated than that. They're not necessarily as esoteric as half half and so on. But ultimately, I come back to the original point that if God could do that way, he wants it as a finished product ready for you to get up and go like you're moving into a house you could choose to build that house from scratch or you could have a completely new built house with all these of that it doesn't disprove it okay it doesn't disprove god's exist i i understand that that argument i mean um, for instance you believe in dinosaurs right i'll take i, I as the guess you believe in god I you've do never seen a single living dinosaur nobody has but you've got bones, you say there must have been a dinosaur. I've also never seen a living tiger. But you've seen enough evidence that is equivalent to seeing it. Yeah, but, but I've, seen, dinosaurs, I've, I've, seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of fossils. You've seen a lot of fossils. So here's my question to you then. Personally, I believe I do have enough evidence for dinosaurs based on the fossils. And the fossil record, we can carbon date them, we know when they came from, we have theories as to why they're there and why they're not there. Nah, but they we could also have compressed them so quickly that they appear to be billions of years old and you don't even know. They could have been compressed so quickly they appear to be billions of years yeah, old. Yeah. I don't, I, just, they I don't know what that means. That means that the scientific way of measuring how old they are could be the product of something that happened in a lot smaller space of time than the way we know it at the moment, because our scientific method so, is extrapolating back over thousands of years. Do you believe that dinosaurs existed? I'm pretty certain they did. You're pretty certain they did. Yeah, I've never seen one, but I say bones there, evidence of that. I use the same method that, that I use that, for the world. Does that mean I use for the way? dinosaurs? I say, look. You've never seen a living dinosaur, but you find bones, you say there must be a dinosaur. You see a world, you've never seen God, but you see a world, so well, there must be somebody out there made it. And we call it God for the sake of... So on, on the fifth day, dinosaurs were created as well? But obviously. Okay, and when did they leave? I don't know. So at some point... References po to huge animals in the, in the book there that God created, saw they were too distractive. Regardless of all the other information we have, so the things like the fact that we can clearly tell that some fossils are from much, much further ago, we can see that some fossils are from much, okay. much more recently. We can clearly I, tell. 
this is based on scientific knowledge that I, under- I understand now, that you don't B, agree with do that not have all the data going back to them to be able to make sure that that is accurate hypothetically god creates dinosaurs alongside humans okay okay and then sometime between when the earth was created and when they were the, the dinosaurs were created and now and we don't know at all when but at some point in that period the dinosaurs stopped existing how did that happen I don't know, and I don't need to know. All I know is they're stopped. The date is the only bit that puzzles me. Judaism's core tenet is is constantly learning and striving for more knowledge. You're not at all interested? Oh, I'm fascinated by it, but I don't have any information about it. I don't have any information. I've searched the books. There are scant references to big, large animals that were very destructive, that kind of, you know, it's it's... A very unscientific to say those must be dinosaurs, um, but they could be. I can't say they are, and I can't say they're not. I just say that there's some reference to animals, and it, it's about its interpretation. What about what about this? There are some extinct animals that we know existed at the same time as humans, due to a whole variety of sources. So, if mammoths had died before humans were around then we would have taken it would have taken us a lot longer to find out about them and we probably wouldn't know for example that mammoths were woolly most of the uh most of the evidence coming out about dinosaurs now is actually the majority of dinosaurs were the ancestors of birds uh velociraptors for example were about the size of a dog and were covered in feathers that's the current. That's the current understanding. Is that we got we got way late thinking they were they were probably reptiles and they were like scaly, and that they're actually feathery. We know we've always known that mammoths were woolly, because humans did exist definitely at the same time as woolly mammoths, and they hunted them. And there are cave drawings of those animals. There are no cave drawings anywhere of any dinosaurs. There are no. There is no human recognition of those animals until we started finding the fossils do we really think that if the world had thousands of different species and subspecies of potentially huge scaly lizard things maybe covered in feathers maybe not do you not find it suspicious that that doesn't turn up in human culture and art throughout time not at all it neither proves nor disproves it's a very nice thing I agree it doesn't disprove it, but do you not find it suspicious? Um, not at all, because it could well be that the dinosaur age came and went in a very short space of time. And it's simply, in other words, I'm not necessarily arguing on the non-existence of dinosaurs. I'm simply arguing that when it conflicts with the Torah, and really, in theory, nothing that we observe in the universe should conflict with the Torah, because it's a, it's a contradiction. If this is made by God or this is made by God, how comes it to conflict? Because so, one of them isn't made by God. Because one of them is inaccurate is also a possibility. One has got the measuring wrong. And so therefore, the dinosaurs existed. They came and went. There's very little evidence of them in cave toys. Okay, interesting. Not very little. None. 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 But there is cave toys of mammoths and human beings, of which there are. And Could for the record, mammoths bored would... teenager doodling. No, because they're historical accounts of what was happening at the time in the same way. They're not, they're not just pictures of mammoths. They tend to be pictures of 
people hunting mammoths and they tend to be lots of different pictures that detail the story of a specific hunt and it's one of the ways that primitive peoples used to keep records and tell stories was through cave painting it's absolutely not just teenagers sitting around doodling right okay but you can't prove that but it does seem likely that what you'll say is probably closer to the truth than my than my suggestion although you can't prove it but i would still say that this stuff doesn't prove anything very good. They existed. People hunted them. Very, very possible. But it's only the time framing. It's only the time framing that leads me to suggest something about your measuring of how you date things must be incorrect. Because since what the Torah says is, as far as I'm concerned, God telling me this is what I did, it doesn't make sense to say that he says this is what I did and my scientific investigation is wrong. It's not coming out with the same results. So I'm concluding that what the scientific way, not that the facts necessarily are wrong, not even that the cave drawings are wrong. I'll buy a word. I'll just say your aging system doesn't work because it doesn't fit in with the Torah. So why do you take the Torah as the gospel truth and the scientific method as incorrect? I say very simply, by its own admittance, as you have eloquently said earlier, Science does not claim to have the truth. Science admits this is the truth of what we know today at this point. I came across a, a, a scientific theory, school of thought, uh, a while back, that says everything about science is it wrong. And this thought says the entire universe is no more than 100,000 years old. Not even one bit, million, let alone a billion. This is a scientific way of thinking. I think it's science. science. I'd love to know based on what. I, I can't remember that. It was based on the... Uh, I, I tell you, you, you ought to read John Lennox. He's a very interesting person to read. Very recently, the reigning king of anti-God ideology, Richard Dawkins, in my opinion, has said... You disagree? No, I don't disagree. Right. So he... I mean, there's God delusion and all that. I have a quote from him later. That... <laughs> uh, he says that the recent discovery of the human genome throws his theories into a lot of doubts because the complexity of the, of the DNA could not have come about in this space of time that we are suggesting. You mean it must so be shorter exactly, or longer? It's, it's far too long. It's far too de- detailed for it to have happened in that space of time. It's, it's, the space of time is far too short. Yeah, yeah. That seems to do the opposite of the so other. So in other words, he's saying that, 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 that even we if we have as billions of years and that it won't produce what we've produced, you need something else in the mix. In other words, he's sort of saying, although we'll never admit it, that maybe it was made by somebody out there after all. Okay, so... And I believe, actually, he's, he is a believer because nobody writes a book about God like that unless they believe they just don't want to believe. And this is, by the way, another facet of human nature. We love to innovate. We love to be able to find our own solutions and our own ways of thinking about things. We don't want to be subservient to God, whether he exists or he doesn't exist, which is when we're free to do our own thing, which brings us on to another whole lesson. In other words, what I want to say is I believe profoundly in the right of science to investigate and discover, and we should take every one of these discoveries seriously. I believe profoundly in the definitions of the Torah, 
And being that the two should match, we want to try every way possible to say that they match. Unless we reach a point which is irre irreconcilable, and that is the age of the universe. And on that point, my answer to you would be is that the methods of science are a shot in the dark. They don't really answer the question as to where anything came from anyhow. By their own admission, are subject to change based on whatever science may come up with in the future. And the Torah is giving you the truth. Not a truth that I go around on crusading with anyone about. I'm not going to kill anyone over it. I don't want to create animosity or have fights and make anyone kneel to me and say that the earth goes around the sun or the sun goes around the earth, which, by the way, modern thinking says you cannot prove either, FYI. And Professor Hawking, Stephen Hawking's last book before he died, says that. It's just more convenient. But the earth moving around the sun is complicated by Einstein's understand understanding of how space-time works and, and what our understanding of what gravity is. The idea that the sun moves around the earth is not true. The, what that refers to is the fact that there it's not as simple as the sun remains stationary and the earth moves around it. We absolutely can prove that the moon is moving around us and we are then moving around the sun. We cannot. It is relative only. The proof is relative only. The proof is relative only because all of our instruments are on this moving planet. If relative to the sun, the moon, the earth moves around it. Relative to the moon, the earth, the sun moves around it. And neither one of those two statements can be proven said to be false or true. That is what Professor Hawkins, the idea the that relative to chief the rabbi of quantum physicists, th there may be there may be something here that I've I've misunderstood or that is outside of research that I've done before. So. That story with Galileo be forced to admit that the earth is still and the sun moves around it. All that argument which the Catholic Church only eventually got around to apologizing in the in the twentieth century for ultimately he says you cannot prove either. This is what he's written in this latest book. I couldn't believe it when he said it. You can research that and see if what I've said is correct. Yeah, I'm never gonna back myself into a corner of standing on a hill if I haven't done the reading. I will go away and research about that. It's not something I've heard of. Um, it does sound interesting. Can I suggest that we move away from the discussion of science? Predominantly because, at the end of the day, we have very different epistemological beliefs. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, epistemology is just the study of knowledge and how we derive our knowledge. So, when you boil arguments down, we're going to have a really interesting discussion that may well end up getting back to a place that we simply can't advance from. Because if we get to a part where the fundamental methodology is just incompatible, then we're never going to be able to advance the discussion. So I want to, I want to have a discussion about a couple of the things mentioned. Um, one of the things you mentioned in passing was that as part of what makes us humans, we have the ability for morality, and we get that morality from God. You've also mentioned Richard Dawkins, which is a good jumping point for us to go on to the next section of this discussion. A lot of the discussion we've been having so far is related to the idea of a God 
and you referred to it as the God theory earlier. I've never actually dismissed the God theory entirely. When I, when you asked me if I thought the God theory was as good of a framework as science, so you said at the very least it has to be as good, and I answered no, I want to clarify that that was specifically in reference to the God that you believe in. As anyone who listened to the last episode will know, I describe myself as deist agnostic. I don't claim to know that God doesn't exist, but part of the deism part is that I don't believe in revealed scripture and that I don't believe that this God specifically exists. Let's change the discussion slightly and let's say that a God or a creator probably does exist. Now, throughout time, as long as people have been around, there have been different conceptions as to what this is. And to quote an idea by Ricky Gervais, of all people, he often points out that there are at least 300 individual recognisable deities that you could choose from. And as an atheist, you're actually only making one more assertion than a theist. Because as a theist, you believe in one of those 300 gods. Maybe you believe it to be the same god as Christianity and Islam, if it's the Abrahamic god is the same for all three. At the very least, you don't believe in the pantheon. You don't believe in the Roman gods. You know, all of, all of those, you don't believe in the Hindu gods. So your assertion of theism is also an assertion of atheism, because you're saying, I believe in this God, but I don't believe in these gods. And the follow-up question to that then is, well, why? Obviously, it's because in part of your upbringing and of the religion and culture you were born into. But let's talk about Hashem specifically. Let's talk about the God of the Torah. I'd like to read to you a quote from Richard Dawkins on the character of the God you believe in. And I, I, would, I would be interested to, to hear what your thoughts are. Two things to say before I say this is that this, these are not my words and no offense is meant to any, any listeners. So the quote from Dawkins is the follow. And whatever it is, it's a wonderful piece of rhetoric. It's, it's, it's a hell of a quote. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. What a piece of rhetoric. Yeah. Each one of those descriptions are carefully chosen. They are. And in the sense that they are carefully chosen, I have a piece of scripture to defend each individual claim. Now, I don't for a second think that this is a fair assessment of the God of the Torah. I think it's overly reductive. It doesn't appreciate all of God's good qualities by any means. And it's clearly written by someone with a heavy amount of bias towards this opinion. However, 
other than the first sentence in which he claims that he's the most unpleasant character, every other attribute can be supported with at least one, if not more, references from the Torah. There's a theory known as the evil god hypothesis, which suggests that if the god of the Torah is real, then not only are they not omnibenevolent, but they are in fact the opposite and maybe omni-evil. Even if they're not all evil, maybe they are more evil than they are good based on the wealth of atrocities that God commits and commands. I don't for a second think that you're going to agree with any of that. But do you agree that God's character throughout the Old Testament is at times not loving as far as our understanding goes? Because you can absolutely make a case that these actions in the long run were loving or that they were part of God's unknowable plan and that we shouldn't try and think in the way that God thinks. But what I'll put to you for those is that if God gives us a certain set of rational abilities, one of those being what seems to be a conscience, and that that conscience points towards certain things being wrong, and yet God commands them of us and commits them himself, would you agree that at the very least, even if those actions are not evil, it is unjust of God to give us the ability to rationalize that those are evil and to access morality different to that, and for then God to do that without explanation? What do you think? Well, firstly, I think you've put together a really masterful structure there, the way you, you, you use the quotes and you built it up really well. Thank you. And my response to you would be as follows. Let us say for a moment that we agree with all those adjectives that Dawkins has used. Does that prove or disprove the existence of God? Neither. So it's almost a waste of time. Because if I believe God exists, then I have to have evidence for his existence, and whether he comes across as a nice guy or as an awful person makes no difference. I still have the evidence. And if I don't have any evidence of existing, who are you complaining about? The God of the Bible. Well, he doesn't exist, so what's your problem? Interesting. In other words, it's a bit like saying, did Hitler exist? So, well, he couldn't have existed because what he did is so evil that no human being would ever do. Well, that doesn't stop him existing. Well, th these, this, this quote is not for a second an attempt to disprove God's existence. Remember that that was the previous so, so section. Try and think of what it is trying to do. So what it's trying to, so what it's trying to say is it's trying to counter the classic conception of God as benevolent, bearing in mind... And therefore do what? Well... What do you want to achieve by showing he's not so benevolent? When I described earlier the difference between how Orthodox people and Reformed religious people react to science and to new, to, to, to new ideas, 
And I said that orthodoxy tends to double down and just defend itself. I very much respect the fact that you're not doing that. And that in the case of dinosaurs, for example, you are willing to look at the evidence and try and make it fit with your worldview. And I still think that that's flawed and that it's an ad hoc argument, but I think it's miles better than just doubling down and refusing to accept the existence. Now, not everyone does that. And it's important to remember that in the case of Richard Dawkins, the people that he spends his time debating tend to be fundamentalist American Christians. And a big part of fundamental Christianity is God's benevolence. If God isn't benevolent, then everything that Jesus was saying kind of isn't true. And that kind of invalidates the religion. And so in that sense, for those people, if this is true, then it invalidates the religion. Now, I can appreciate what you're saying in that you're absolutely right. If this is true and God exists, it's not by any means a reason to stop believing in him. But I would say it could be a case to stop doing what he tells you, to stop acting as if he is right. If we think that we look at this and say, actually, God is not great. God is not good. God is not great being a wonderful book by Christopher Hitchens. For anyone that hasn't read it. He turned out to be Jewish. Christopher Hitchens? Yeah. He discovered his mother was Jewish very late in life. Oh, I thought you meant he converted. No, no. He, he discovered his Interesting. mother. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder where that puts his brother at the moment. Also Jewish, I presume. <laughs> yeah. He's a devout uh, Catholic, I think he is. Peter Hitchens. Yeah. yeah. For some people, even if God does exist, these qualities would make God malicious enough to reject him even in the face of certain existence. One quite common thing that a lot of predominant atheist thinkers of the day, so people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, the, the things that those sorts of people say is, if you ask them, what happens if you die and it's all true, what do you say to God? Do you repent? Do you, rec do you confess your sins and try and get into heaven? And the answer, and this is the answer that I would give too, is no, because I would not want to dedicate myself to a being that would do these things, even if he were real. If it was a person who had done these things, even if they also preached a lot of good, we would not refer to them as good. If one individual person had a death toll quite as high as God's, it would be more than enough evidence for us to turn around and call him evil. Why is it that this is not enough evidence to reject God, even in the face of absolute existence? The reason why you cannot reject God is because you have drawn a conclusion based on your understanding and you've got no proof that that's correct. So just think about the logic of it. Firstly, if you are prepared to accept, which I believe is provable, that the God is there and you would not exist without it, you're basically 
got the choice because he's the one keeping you alive. You know, the Jews say, says, or you, or you die, that type of thing. So that's the, if you like, be the, the, the rather crude way of approaching it. Or you um, die? Well, I see you had to do what I say, or I'm having you under my will. So, well, do you I believe don't the like God you, God. I don't agree with what you say. You say, well, there's a I'm told to you. Do you believe that God does that? Well, God is responsible for every death. But are they based on lack of belief? No. Because righteous people die as well. Moses died, and he was your greatest believer, the greatest prophet ever. So it's not a question of belief. But more importantly, if you have got, put yourself in God's position for a minute. You go to the trouble of creating a world. You bring life into existence at every level, from the rock to the plant to the animal, mammal, to the human. You endow them with intelligence. Why would you destroy them? I mean, that would be about as sensible as the university that you, that you attend was to set about sending its students on a project to build a new building, and as soon as it's finished, sending the bulldozers to destroy it. You might legitimately turn around and say, well, why the dickens did you do that? Now, as you're talking about professors, then you may say they are fallible and they made a mistake. When you talk about God, part of his CB says he doesn't make mistakes. Part, the, part of what you attribute to his CV. No, no, logic tells you that must be God. Because as soon as you detract from that, that's not God. And that's your Ricky Gervais business, which is all nonsense. Because all these gods are human being create humans, creating an image of God. I'm not doing any of that at all. In fact, the God of, of, of Judaism is not the God, as in there's lots of gods out there and this is one we've chosen. This is only the one. It's a product of your logic that says you don't create God in the image of man. And that's what... Why does logic dictate there must be one? I mean, so... Because if there's two, where'd the second one come from? Where'd the first one come from? Oh, so the first one exists outside of the realm of any creation and therefore has absolutely no limit. So his entire existence is outside of that realm altogether. So you does, put a limit God, on it. Does God exist outside of logic? I asked this earlier and you yeah. said yes. So God can do the logically impossible. Could God create a rock so heavy that God could not lift him up? Yeah, well, that is not really a piece of logic, what you've asked me. It's a carefully phrased word, which is a bit like an Escher drawing, which is positioned in such an angle as it looks like it's impossible. The figure's going up, the figure's going down, and so on and so forth. Because of the way he manipulates the two dimensions, so we've used language to create. You basically said, can God do something they can't do? That is exactly what I've said. The answer, the question is necessarily a paradox, and there is a reason behind that. The question I'm asking you is, is God so powerful that paradoxes do not affect him? Is he outside of the realm of logic? He's outside of the realm of logic. Okay, so let me ask you this. being beyond logic. Well that's, well, that's incongruous. What does that mean? That means that his essence is beyond anything I can understand, but his existence is something that I can know must be there. So based on all the arguments we had earlier, well, let me go back to your, all these adjectives. All these things that you've said to me about, that we quoted here from, from Dawkins. Why would God do anything bad? I'm so talking so much as allowing a mosquito to die of thirst. 
as opposed to earthquakes which kill tens of thousands of people. Why would you do that? So what I'm trying to lead you towards is God does things that to us appear to be evil and bad. But logically, if God does it, there must be some intent behind it. I wouldn't use the word good because good would be quantifiable in my terms. But your terms of what good are come from what God has told you what good are. Yes, and, I, and he's given me a code of how to behave, and I, I will acknowledge that. And in a great deal of situations, he breaks those very terms that he gives you. Yes. Can, are, you free to, are you free to kill someone currently? No. Why is that? Because God said don't kill. Cool. God kills all the time. God kills all the time. God commands his people to kill you, every all single the time. person on this earth, his death is a trivial to whatever person ever has lived. Every person ever will, his death or her death will be at the hands of God. Why? 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 What reason does God have? Because I, as a limited being, have finite understanding and a very, very small perspective of what is right and wrong. If I do that, that is murder. But if God takes away luck, people from this world, that is not murder. Here's a question for you. Well, okay, okay two things. There are several occasions where the, the way that God takes people away from the earth certainly looks like murder. But let me ask you a question. If God came to you and told you to murder someone, just as he came to Saul and told him to genocide the Amalekites, does God's permission for you to do that action make it moral? Or does it mean that you are not bound by morality for that time? Is, and I'll rephrase the question to, to, to make it clearer, is murder always wrong? And when God says you can murder, it's still wrong, but you're allowed to do it in the same way that a child being allowed to get away with something is not the same as a child being told it's okay for them to do it. Is the act of murder morally acceptable when God instructs you to do it? Or are you just outside of morality for that action? Now, that's, very, that's a very good way of phrasing the question. Because the truth is that morality does not really exist. The only things that are right or wrong are things that God says are right or wrong. Why is anything right or wrong? So if God says, thou shalt not murder, it is murder. And therefore, I'm not allowed to do it. I'm not interested in the morals of it. If it's morally right or morally wrong, there's independent judgments of looking and evaluating what's doing. With my one and only evaluation is, if God says do it, it must be right. If he says don't do it, it must be wrong. If he now says do it and then says don't do it, at the moment he says do it, it is 100% right. And the moment he says do, don't do it, it's 100% wrong. Although what you're saying, you're, the way you phrased it earlier is a little bit academic because it doesn't really make any difference how you would view it. It's a sort of a little bit of a Talmudic debate. Is it morally right, but it's been, morals have been suspended? Or well, does that mean... First of all, I'll commend you for a very for a very direct and very real answer. And a lot of religious people won't give an answer to that question. Um, it, there is, it, it is an academic question, and you're right, most people wouldn't be that interested in it. It does relate to a very important philosophical concept, 
known as the Euthyphro Dilemma, which uh, is from one of Plato's dialogues in which uh, the discussion is about uh, God's relation to good and whether or not good exists as a concept separate from God or whether anything God does is good. I can see that you wouldn't be that interested in the discussion because you give a, a very direct answer to the question, which is that good is God. Good is what God commands. So let's talk about that. You say that if God commands you to do something, you do it because it is right. You shouldn't be, you're, you don't, your rational ability, you mentioned this earlier, if I think what God does is wrong, I might be wrong, I might be flawed. So, this is called divine command. There is an element of logic behind that as well. That I'm saying to myself, if God says, do this, it must be right. Because why would he tell me to do that? So for the, to my, from my perspective, this looks to me awful. You know, I should, this looks to be something very terrible. I said, well, that's from your perspective. And most of the time, I would hope that my perspective would be, would be okay with what God tells me to do. But on every now and then, I know for certain I'm going to come across something which is going to challenge me. And that will be in itself perhaps part of the reason why God would ask me to do that. He's effect testing to see whether I truly believe in him. So everything in the world, and you and I have had conversations about possibly the worst tragedy that ever hit the world, which is the Holocaust. Mm. And the I know that your you, your family has personal connections with that. Mm -hmm. And if you will sit back on a, on, on a pleasant summer's evening and say, well, let's just ask God, why on earth were six million Jews allowed to die mm -hmm. and not just die and be murdered but the way that it happened which is so vicious so evil how come has all of that happened and my answer to you will be I don't know mm. nothing in my book nothing in the Torah nothing in God's teachings both written and oral says that such an action is, is justifiable so it actually makes sense. Nothing in any of the punishments that are threatened in the book. If you don't follow the path of God, then this and this will happen. None of them say holocaust. They say things, but nothing as bad as the holocaust. But do I believe for a minute that God was not there? Never. It could never have happened without him. Do I believe for a minute that what God did is wrong? Never for a minute. But it's so evil. It's as evil as evil could ever get. I agree with you. But if God is behind it, then somewhere, somehow, there is some divine intent. I couldn't even call it reason, because reason means it's available within the framework of what my mind could grasp. And if I can't grasp it, maybe I just need to work a little bit harder. Or maybe something's in a high IQ than me can have it. But it's something that will be at some point explainable within the realms of logic. But when you talk about life and death, even of one individual, you're not talking about logic anymore. And when you talk about six million, you're not talking about... By the way, I don't say that exclusively to the Jewish people. If you've got a million people murdered in Darfur or, 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 or any of the other terrible massacres, you have the same question. God, exactly what are you doing? And when you talk about man-made disasters, that's one thing. At least you, you, you would erroneously blame people. And said, well, it wasn't God, that was people. Oh, really? You know, I expect God to be when it comes to people. 
But when it's things like earthquakes or volcanoes or tsunamis, and then that's clearly not something you can blame any human being for, you really got nowhere else to go but to blame God. And you say, well, why, God, did you do that? And the question is immoral. And so why, why do you take all of that, which you agree, you find, you feel, you intuit, and let's not overlook how important human intuition is. You intuitively know the Holocaust was wrong. You do know that the Holocaust was wrong. When you say wrong, you know that it feels like it violates some natural order that should be there. Yeah. Right? And if it is the case, as you say, that God was behind the Holocaust, God allowed it to happen, maybe he didn't just allow it to happen, maybe it was his plan all along because nothing happens without God's p direct plan. You're good. You're good, soul. Right? Yeah. Why then do you still defend God as good? Why? And I'll, I'll phrase it like this. If I take something that is blue and I show it to you as being blue and I say, this is blue. And then actually I put it down to the side and it turns red. And you see it turn red and someone else goes, well, why? Hang on. Why is that red? Isn't it meant to be blue? And you go, well, it is red. But the thing is, I think it's still blue. I just think there's something about it that means that what I think red is doesn't matter. What I think blue is doesn't matter. No matter how red it looks, I was told that it's blue. So it must actually be blue all along. That would be insane. It would make much more sense to look at the thing that you thought wants to be blue, but is now red, and go, ah, oh, maybe it was once blue, maybe it was never blue. Maybe it was mistaken entirely. Maybe who told me it was blue was wrong. Maybe they were lying. But this thing is red. God is not a loving being who is doing all of these evil things out of love and we just don't understand them. They are evil. They are wrong. I would not attribute to my worst enemies a defense of the Holocaust under any conditions. I think it is, even if I don't believe morality exists, and we, I'm a moral a-realist and we can talk about that at another point, I think the Holocaust was wrong. And I think that to be able to say that the Holocaust was wrong shouldn't be a difficult thing to defend. Because the idea that God did the Holocaust is a horrifying idea to me. Because all it points towards is that somewhere out there, there is a being who is, as Richard Dawkins puts it, a bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser who is genocidal. Because that's all I see. I cannot, I, I will not say that this is good. We cannot say it is good. And we can say that this is wrong. We can say it is evil. But that is only human beings speaking. Now, most of the time, I understand that human beings must judge things based on their level. But every now and then, something will happen which will challenge that. And I will not be able to say, this is good. This is actually fine. It isn't fine. It hurts. And it hurts badly. And in fact, in Jewish law, when a person dies, the family are commanded 
There is a mitzvah, a commandment, an instruction, a law that says, you shall mourn. And it says that if somebody does not mourn, they are considered to be an insensitive, cruel person. And they mourn for seven days, and you know the practice of sitting shiva, which is the seven days, during the morning, and all the customs that flow from that. So we say it is bad and good, bad or good in terms of how we understand it. But we also acknowledge that somewhere up there, in the heavens, there is an intention, there is a meaning, there is an understanding which does make it all make sense. It's not within my finite brain. No, Holocaust can never be explained away in finite terms. But in godly terms, I don't for a minute or for a second doubt that he was responsible and that he has some purpose behind it. So therefore, the description of God, the Dawkins, is a childish and immature one. It's like a little kid who cannot understand anything other than what he sees. It is also arrogant because it places my understanding as a sole arbitrator of what is right and what is wrong. And your question of likes at the beginning was, what is good and what is not good? And I said to you, if God said so, it's good. And if God says don't do it, it's bad. We've reached another point at which we disagree based on fundamentally unknowable factors. And as such, the debate is essentially now at a stalemate. We will continue this discussion in the next episode. But for now, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of A Rabbi and a Philosopher Walk Into a Podcast.